Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. Let's remain standing to hear the word of God. Nehemiah 2, 1-8 says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may, he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Lord God, we just thank you for the honor and the privilege it is to uh, come into your house today to worship you. Uh, We thank you that you are sovereign over all. We thank you that you are sovereign over our lives. We thank you that you are sovereign even over the message that Marv is about to preach. Father God, I pray that you would speak through him today, Father, that you would bring a good word uh, from your word, Father, about um, about Nehemiah, about this story. Uh, and we just thank you for your faithfulness through generations and generations. Father God, you are the one we trust. You are the one we, uh, we look to in times of trouble, in times of distress. Lord God, we love you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. I hope God brings a good word. Thank you for that prayer. So we are doing verses 1 to 8 in chapter 2. And uh, the question, last week we had a question, which the question was, how can we show concern for others? This week it's, how can we be wise in life? It's part one. God willing, next week we'll do part two. And I don't know about you, but I want to answer to this question because I'm not always wise in life. This is a basketball net in front of my house. I think there's a picture coming. That's the boys' net. And if you look here at the base of this net, a couple weeks ago, 
I was like, ah, oh, you know, the boys, they've got to shoot from like every angle. And, you know, they're just shooting straight on. And if they're not shooting from every angle, their shot's not going to be as tight as it needs to be. It's not going to be as good as I want it. You know, I'm thinking I'm blessing my boys, but it's really about me. And so I'm like, I'm going to move the net. And Kim's like, don't move the net. I'm like, nah, I got to move it. I'm going to put it to the side. And she's like, well, if you move the net, you got these two really good friends down the street. One's named Alex, one's named Warren. Me and them hang out all the time. They're some of the best people God's brought into my life in the last little while. Good people, especially Warren. The brother knows how to tell a joke. Okay. And so she's like, well, at least ask them for help. I'm like, hmm, maybe. And, I'm, and then she went into the kitchen and I was like, yo, Riv. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, let's go move the net. He's like, but that mom said. He's like, oh, don't worry about your mom. She's cooking. And so we go, we go outside, and I take the net, and, you know, down the side here of the house, there's grass. So I'm like, oh, if I turn the net, then they can get it from the side, from the front, from the side, every angle. So I push it, and I put it in place. And I was like, mm, Riv, what do you think? He's like, well, it's a little crooked, Dad. So I'm like, all right, push it a little bit more. I was like, okay. I think it's just one more, one more little spot. He's like, okay. So I lift the net with one arm, the base of the net. Now, down here is full of sand. And I lift it, and immediately I black out. And all I hear was, and the, my tendon in my bicep completely, well, it partially tore. And so I'm sitting on the driveway, and Riz's like, Dad, are you all right? I'm like, no, you got to get your mom. And, and I can tell you that immediately I was like, that move lacks wisdom. And I'm sitting on the front step and Kim comes out and she's like, what happened to you? I was like, well, River made me move the net. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Yeah, River didn't do that. I was like, well, I was trying to move the net. You told, you know, you told me not to move the net. Then we're calling our neighbors. And again, thank God for good neighbors because they watch the kids as we went to the hospital to find out that they was partially torn. And I immediately knew, not a wise move. And so I don't know about you, but I want to be a person who does wise things in life, not unwise things. Because here's the thing, when you make unwise moves, it leads to long-term consequences that sometimes take a very long time to fix. And God wants us to avoid those things. And that's why I appreciate the text in front of us today, because it tells us how to be wise in life. Here's the first way, by patiently waiting for God to answer our prayers. We're wise when we patiently wait for God to answer our prayers. It says that Nehemiah says he was, it's in the month of Nisan, he writes, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before the king, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, Nehemiah tells us it's the month of Nisan. And if you remember, he started praying in the month of Chislev. Say it, Chislev. I'm not, I'm not even sure that's how you say it, but that's how we're going to say it. Chislev, that is the month of November, uh, between November and mid-December. And now it says we're in the month of Nisan, which is mid-March to mid-April, which tells you that Nehemiah has been waiting for an answer for four months to his prayer. And in chapter one, verse 11, it ends with him saying, God, give your servants success today. 
So when he made the prayer, he's like, I want success. I want this thing. And remember, success was the king letting him go back to rebuild the wall. He's like, I want that today. But Nehemiah had to embrace the reality that God had a different day in mind than the day he was praying. And he had to be patient in prayer. And here's where I'm going with this. So do you in your life. When you lift your heart to God, and so you, sometimes you're like, this, this thing's real, it's tough right now, and God, I need you to move right now. You have to be patient when you pray. And, and I know, because I'm like you, that waiting is hard. <laughs> Being patient, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes you're wondering, why isn't God answering right now? Why isn't he doing that thing for me right now? I'm in pain right now. God knows your pain. He knows your struggle. But you have to trust the wisdom of God in your life. And understand, I'm not saying that to be insensitive. I know some of you are waiting on some real, real things that need to happen right now. But you have to trust the wisdom of God over your life. And here's the thing that helps you endure in the moments when waiting is hard. You've got to remember that God, your heavenly father, looks at you with love in his eyes for you. And he always has your best interest in mind. And so even in the waiting, you have to trust in the goodness of God. Nehemiah gave his burden to God and then he went about his business. You're like, how do you know? It's in the verse. He says, I took up wine and gave it to the king. He put his request on the altar, and then he went back to his responsibilities. What you see here is Nehemiah is not like, you know what? I'm going I'm to run ahead of God. He doesn't run into the king's room and say, yo, king, I got to leave right now. I got to leave today. He doesn't say that. He prays. He doesn't do that. He prays, he asks, and he waits on God, Nehemiah doesn't run ahead of God when the answer didn't come quickly, but that's what a lot of people do. Oh, God didn't answer me just yet. I guess he didn't hear me. I'm gonna do my own thing. Here's the danger in that. When you run ahead of God, you are guaranteed to run into trouble. When you take things into your own hands, sometimes you make a mess that is very hard to clean up. You make a mess of a good thing instead of trusting and waiting on God. Taking things into your own hands, not a wise move. And maybe you're sitting there and you're like, mm, Marv, how can I know? Because I want to know. How can I know that I, maybe I'm taking things into my own hands rather than trusting God? Say, how can I know? Come on, say, how can I know? I'm glad you asked. Here's a couple ways. You're doing unethical things and ignoring your, ignoring your conscience to get what you want. You're forcing something instead of letting God bring it into your life naturally and in his good time. You're just like, mm, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to push and I'm going to push and I'm going to push. And sometimes when we're doing that, we know, don't we? We feel it. I'm not letting this thing come as natural as it as can. Here's the next one. You're compromising on your convictions and acting out of character to achieve some sort of success. This last one. You've stopped seeking godly advice and you're just doing whatever is wise in your own eyes. Kimmy gave me good advice when I was about to move that net. 
Ask the neighbor. Don't do it. Not necessary. You know what's funny? I moved the net, and then after I tore my bicep, you know where the net is? Right back where it was in the picture. <laughs> because after all the pain, all the, 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 um, the physio, the frustrating MRI, you, the MRI was at, not, what, 8.45 at night. At 10 o'clock at night, I'm stuck in this little tube with my arm like this, and the ladies are like, how are you doing in there? I'm like, how do you think I'm doing in here? But I couldn't be mad at them. It was my own fault. Unwise. Trusting ourselves and we make a mess of things that take a long time to clean up. I don't know if this arm is ever going to be right again. Until we get to glory. We'll be like, Jesus, fix this thing right now. But that's the reality sometimes. Long-term consequences that take a long time to fix and undo. Let's be wise. And I want to say this, because you're like, mm, maybe I've made a mess. If you've run ahead of God and you've made, you've made a mess, don't try to clean it up on your own. Did you hear me? Come on, somebody should have said, yeah, <laughs> I can. If you've run ahead of God and you've made a mess, do not try to clean it up on your own. God doesn't want that for your life. He says, turn to me and turn to trusted brothers and sisters in the faith who can help you sort out and fix that thing that is going on. See, sometimes when we make a mess, we feel all kinds of guilt and we think, oh, I got to start hiding. I just got to, I got to get this right. I got to do this all by myself. I can't tell anybody what is going on. And that is exactly what Satan wants you to do. So you can struggle all by yourself. And try to climb that hill and try to make it right all by yourself. God says, no, no, no. Come to me. Come humbly. Come in faith. Come and ask for help. And I will give you the help that you need. The brothers and sisters are here for you and want to help you navigate that and walk with that. Because again, sometimes it might take a long time to get the thing right. Nehemiah believed God hurt him. So he carried on. With life. I want you to know when he, when he takes up the wine and gives it to the king, the thing that was concerning him, the thing going on back at home, didn't consume him. Don't you see that sometimes in your life? The thing that is concerning you, it got you concerned, is consuming you, and you can't even function. And you can't do the things that you need to do today, the responsibilities that are in front of you. Nehemiah's got to go to work, because if he doesn't go to work, that might be a problem between him and the king. And so, yes, there's something going on in his life that he's like, I'm, I'm concerned about this. But he still has to do the things that are necessary in front of him. And so what I'm telling you is the thing that is concerning you right now, and all of us have stuff, give it to God and then ask God for strength and wisdom to fill you with the spirit so you can go about your day and engage in your responsibilities. The thing that concerned him didn't consume him. How can we be wise in life? Here's the next one. By courageously seizing, courageously seizing opportunities when God opens a door. He says, now I took up wine and I gave it to the king. He says, now I had not been sad in the presence of the king. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. His vibe, his demeanor had changed around the king. 
And the, and, and the king noticed. He said, I, I was sad in the presence of the king. Here's something that you got to take from this. Following Jesus is not full of happy days. Right? It's like, I love it when you guys do that. It's like you got in a warm bath. Mm. It's not full of happy. Sometimes there's sad days. And we come up in here and we pretend like we're not sad when we're sad. Nehemiah is like, I'm affected. And, he, and his, he lets his emotions show that. It's okay when you're sad to be sad. And we've got to stop creating this church culture where everybody's got to act like they're happy all the time when you're not. And you got to notice, the king noticed. He says, what's wrong with you? And here's the next thing that we need to, to have. We need to be in this spot where we are so sensitive to others that we notice when they're sad. T.J. Betts said, Nisan was the beginning of, a, of the new year for the Persians. It was a time of celebration. He says, perhaps the national festivities in Persia affected Nehemiah even more than he had already been affected up to this point. I love this. This is important. Times of celebration sometimes accentuate the sting of personal sorrow. That makes me think of Christmas time, when we're dedicating babies, Thanksgiving, all these times where sometimes we are joyful, we are happy, but somebody is sad. And we need to, we need to be like this king in this way. God, give me a sensitivity that in these times of celebration, that my eyes are open for the person who's not celebrating. That doesn't, doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's good when it's time to celebrate, to celebrate. But we want to be so aware of each other in the family of God that we notice when somebody is in sorrow in those moments so we can go over and encourage and support them in whatever way God tells us. Let's be aware. The king said to Nehemiah, what's up? And then Nehemiah said, I was, in verse 2, I was much afraid. Got that empty feeling in his stomach. You ever get that when you're on like one of them roller coasters? I don't do roller coasters, but I know some of you do it. You know that drop? No, gents, I don't do that. That empty, he's afraid. Here's why. Because a sad servant raised suspicion. Remember, Persian kings were getting killed all the time. And Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king, and his job was to test and make sure that the wine wasn't poisoned before he gave it to the king. And so if his demeanor has changed, he's not acting the way he's used to acting around the king, maybe the king is like, mm, something's up with this brother, and I got to get him before he gets me. So Nehemiah, his, his, his fear makes sense. He said, I was much Afraid, he was scared, but he still spoke. Look at verse three, he says, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Right, sometimes when you're afraid of somebody, it's good to be like, yo brother, we're okay. Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Nehemiah spoke because he understood what one president said, that courage is not the absence of fear, but, the, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. The thing that's more important right now for Nehemiah is the life of his people and the city that they're in. They're in. 
And so he looks and he's like, their welfare is more important than mine. Yes, I'm afraid. Yes, I, for right now, I feel something for myself. But the people who I love, they're in trouble. And so I can't stay silent. I have to speak. He looks and he says, their welfare is more important than mine. And doesn't that make you think of Jesus? It makes me think of Jesus. Nehemiah looks. He's scared, but he spoke because he wanted to go home to make a wrong thing right for his people. Jesus looks at you and he leaves his home because he wanted to make a wrong thing right in your heart and in the world that you live in because of his love for you. He seeks your welfare and not his own. How come nobody said amen there? Think about what Jesus does for you, did for you is doing for you, will do for you when you get in glory. Commenting on this verse, H.B. Charles said, what a shrewd answer. Ezra reports that the enemies, Ezra 4 reports that the enemies of Judah had convinced the king that Jerusalem was filled with political troublemakers. If you read Ezra, you see that. The king had responded by making the decree that the city was not to be rebuilt. So same king, remember, he's talking to that said, you can't rebuild that. Because he's like, if you rebuild it, those people are going to be trouble for me. The, Nehemiah knows this, and wisely, he does not directly mention Judah or Jerusalem. Instead, he appeals to the common ancient Eastern practice, uh, respect for the burial place of the dead. See, Nehemiah, when he talks, he's shrewd. Right? And here, here's, where I'm, here's where I'm showing you this. Because that's the way you should be with unbelievers. Don't you got some people in your life that are just trying hard to trap you into something because they know where you stand? It's not like you live in a culture that's like, oh, we love Christians. It's not like you go into workplaces where everybody's on your side. And so we are to be shrewd. We are to be wise with our words so that when they, they try to trap us or they bring up something that you know they don't share your position on, you can wisely navigate and allow them to actually hear you instead of going at you. He's wise with his words, and his wise words receive a kind response. Verse 4 says, Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed. When you read Nehemiah, he, the brother's always praying. You know when you hear the, in the New Testament, it's like you are to pray without ceasing? That doesn't mean you're just always walking around like, Jesus, I need your help, through the kids. It just means you're always ready to pray. Your posture is, as soon as I know something is a bit over my head, prayer is where we go. Nehemiah knows when this request comes, he's like, I, this is not going to be simple, what I'm about to say. So he prays. He asks for God's help. He said, I prayed. To the God of heaven, he knows who's in charge. Remember, sovereignty of God right there. God is over all things. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's, father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me with the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come 
to Judah. Nehemiah, when the king is like, what are you requesting? He doesn't go, "Mm, let me think about that. He's not like, oh, you know, king, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't actually thinking you were going to say, what are you requesting? I thought you were going to be, no, no, no. Nehemiah is ready for the moment. He's ready when the king says, what are you requesting? He sees an open door, and when he sees the door open, he runs through it. He's ready. Here's how you know. Verse 5 shows that he knew what he wanted to do. He said, I want to go back to Jerusalem, and I want to rebuild the wall. Verse 6 shows that he knew how long it would be, he would be gone. It says, when it pleased, the, the king said, how long are you going to be gone? And he says, when I gave him a time, it pleased the king to let me go. Verse 7 shows that he knows what he needs to get things done. He says, give me letters that I may pass through the checkpoints. There are spots here where he's like, I know that there's some people who are not going to let me through unless it's like, no, the king said I could go. And I want you to notice that he even knows the name of the person who could give him supplies. I want timber to build the wall. I want it to build the temple. I want it to build the house that I should occupy. What does this tell you about Nehemiah? While Nehemiah is praying, he's also planning. And so he, yeah, there's four months that he's been waiting for God to give the answer, but it's not like he's just sitting on his hands. He's actually strategizing and thinking, here's what I'm going to need. Here's what I am going to do. He is ready for the moment. And here's where I'm, where's what you got to hear. Here's where, here's the word for you. You do not know what opportunity, what door of opportunity God might open for you tomorrow at your job, in your witness, in your singleness, in your marriage, in your friendships, in your parenting, whatever it is, in your ministry, in your support raising. You don't know what door God might open, might open tomorrow. But that does not mean you should not be praying and planning today. Because praying and planning today might get you ready for the door of opportunity that God is going to open tomorrow. Planning isn't a lack of faith. It's an act of wisdom to be ready for what God might bring. And here's the thing. The opportunity that God might bring you tomorrow might be scary. Remember, Nehemiah was afraid. It might be scary. You might, ooh, I, I don't know if I can do this. The opportunity he might be bringing to you is just, is just actually calling you to actually step into faith, to give your life to Jesus. You're like, oh, that's scary. That might cost me something. The opportunity he might put in front of you t- tomorrow is that you need to re-engage in the church life. Actually get back involved and don't just sort of put things all over your weekend so that you can't be with the people of God. You're like, ooh, that might be scary because I might not get that thing I'm chasing. But here's what you got to realize. When, when Nehemiah stepped into that, that, that thing that took courage, God was with him. And yes, that that opportunity God puts in front of you might be scary, but God is going to walk with you and carry you through all of it because if God calls you to something, he's not gonna leave you in it by yourself. He's gonna be there with you the whole way. How can we be wise in life? Here's the last one. Then you can go get lunch. 
by humbly acknowledging God's role when you succeed in life. By humbly acknowledging God's role when you succeed in your life. You're like, oh, Marv, where are you getting that idea from? Where are you getting this acknowledgement that I should give God credit for when I succeed in life? Ooh, verse 8. Look at it with me. It's in the text. I'm not making stuff up. I promise. It says, where am I? I got to find verse 8. And, let, and, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make, uh, make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and the house and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked. Why? For, there's the reason, for the good hand of my God was upon me. See, prideful people steal God's glory. Humble people give God glory. Don't you see Nehemiah doing that? He's like, I didn't have success because I was like really shrewd with my words. I didn't have success because I was so strategic and I thought this all out. All I did was speak and God moved because of the good hand of God that was on me. Good hand. Do you notice that? Good hand. If you got a Bible and you like to mark up your Bible, you should mark that. Good hand. The good hand of God. That's because it should remind you that God is good, and when he puts his hand on you, his plan is to do good to you and good through you. All you got to do is read Nehemiah's life. Read it all the way to the end. It's okay to skip ahead of me. I'm going to go slow. Read fast. You see that he does good to Nehemiah and good through him. And sometimes when God is doing good to you, it doesn't feel good. Oh, you weren't expecting me to say that. Sometimes when God is doing a good thing in your life, it hurts a lot. And, it's, and there's pain there. Here's why. Refining you and making you like Jesus, sanctifying you, is, is a hard work. Why? Because we've gone so long in bad habits. And so when God is shaving that thing off, you're like, ooh, this hurts. Surgery hurts. But sometimes you need surgery to walk right. And some, so it, it doesn't always feel good. And there are preachers who lie to you. That tell you, oh, you come to Jesus, everything's going to be okay. It's going to, well, it is going to be okay, but everything's going to be perfect. You're going to get all you want, and your life is going to be easy. That's a lie from hell. Sometimes when you give yourself to Jesus, all that comes for a long time is pain and struggle. But that's because God, if you're, one, one, you live in a world that is broken and people are broken and sometimes they do terrible things to each other. And so sometimes there's, a, there's suffering there. And then the other part is there's a real battle with sin. And when God is trying to sanctify you and refine you, your flesh starts to fight. But that does not mean the good hand of God has come off your life. Sometimes in the toughest moments, in the most painful moments, it's the clearest reality that the hand of God is on your life, that God is working to do good to you and through you. And so Satan will try to lie to you and say, in this pain, in this struggle, God has given up on you. You are all by yourself. But that is a lie. God is always with you, always refining you, always working on you. 
And when you get to glory, it's going to be perfect. It's going to be right. And he's going to look at you and he's going to say, I loved you. That's why I allowed that in your life so that you can be who you are, be who I created you to be. Because what I start, I finish. And when I put my hand on my child, I don't let them go. And so you trust God in the pain. Nehemiah said, the good hand of God was on me. When God puts his hand on you, it is a good hand. And when you succeed, you give God the praise and the glory that he deserves. Nehemiah knows where his blessings come from. He knows where his blessing comes from. And Nehemiah gives credit where credit is due. And when you succeed in life, you are to do the same. All you got to do is think about what the scriptures say. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not? You know, some people sitting there, they're like, "Mm, I'm the one that woke up and went to work and worked hard and got this money. Who gave you the breath in your lungs to be able to do it? Who sustained you as you slept? Who kept your heart beating as you were doing that thing? All God. And we can get so prideful. We can get in this spot where we're like, all of this in my life is all me. And it's satanic. Pride is, let me say it clear, satanic. It's ungodly. Because we have a humble God. Jesus, not prideful, humble, comes and serves. And so when you succeed, you give God the praise that he is due. See, the scripture, what it's always doing is it's always trying to get us to, to not, to settle, sorry, in the house of humility and come off of the path of pride. Because pride, you're like, why? Why does God want me off the path of pride? Well, because it's dangerous. What does it say? If you're on the path of pride, God is against you. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the who? Come on, the humble. Scripture always, it's, it's wise to be in the place of humility because when you're in that spot, God is for you and grace is flowing towards you. Gives grace to the humble. If you succeed in something now or in the future, if you met Nehemiah, he'd be like, Pastor Sean, give God what he's due. Tracy, give God what he's due. It's all because of God's work in your life. And because we, you guys know, I like, I like when we apply the scriptures, right? Yeah? When we walk in the word, when we do what we've heard, we do what we've learned, well, God is worthy of our praise. So I want you to stand, because we are going, come on, where's Shayon? Where's Brother Shayon? Come lift that sweet voice to Jesus. Come on up here. We are going to stand, and we are going to give God the praise that he is due, because he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise because of his work and goodness in our lives. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.